You know those tampon dispensers in public bathrooms? They're like vending machines, except they give out tampons, not chips. Insert a quarter, turn the knob, period crisis averted. But what if you don't have a quarter? What if you don't have the money to buy tampons at all? Women across America face this problem on a monthly basis. The price of period products forces women to choose between basic necessities. They spend their money on food because that's the basic necessity. Any money they have goes to food. That's Jory Nilsson. She's the medical director at the Women's Free Homeless Clinic in Santa Barbara. They lack food. That's, that's the big thing. They lack food, and they're more concerned about food than just about anything. Okay, um, so it's kind of like if it comes down to it, They'll buy food over hygiene products. That's it, for sure. The women's clinic happens three times a month in a transition home downtown. It's a safe space where women can shower, eat a hot meal, and relax. In addition to offering basic medical care, the clinic provides women with free hygiene supplies, including pads. Why are you providing menstrual hygiene products for these women? Because it's part of basic health care for a woman. And we're trying to do everything that we can to provide the biological, psychological, and social aspects of what every, every indiv- human being needs, but within our women's clinic population. I decided to go to the clinic to speak with some of the women. While I was there, I met Nancy. We talked about periods over a bowl of soup. So I used to have to like go behind dumpster enclosures, like need to go behind a tree and try to change real fast and hope nobody sees you, stuff like that. So you'd have to change your tampon or pad behind a dumpster? Yeah, yeah, I, I did it a lot. Yeah, go inside a dumpster enclosure and close the gate or whatever and change in there. Yeah, I, I did that a lot. You know, it was pretty commonplace. Nancy was homeless for 23 years. She said when she was living on the streets, she couldn't afford to buy tampons or pads every month. So what would you do if you couldn't purchase them? Stick rags up in there, maybe find a, an old shirt, like alongside a road or somewhere, and you just stick it up in there. I've done that. Whoa. Yeah, it's rough out there. Yeah, it's rough out there, sweetheart. For Nancy, buying period products was just one worry on a list of many. You know, getting your stuff around in a shopping cart. I mean, finding a, a safe, dry place at night to sleep. Um, yeah, dealing with menstrual periods. Um, if you got the flu, like like how you're going to recover and where you're going to sleep, stuff like that. Staying warm, having enough blankets, having enough sweaters to stay warm at night. Yeah, it was a lot of things. For women like Nancy, menstrual hygiene takes a back seat to buying food or finding shelter. When financial resources are stretched thin, tampons and pads are some of the first things to go. But homeless women are not the only ones dealing with this problem. In Mississippi, immigrant women are up against the same struggle. Following a U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency arrest um, that happened on August 7th, Um, where nearly 680 undocumented persons um, were taken into custody, um, we realized that there were going to be a lot of persons who unfortunately 
we're going to be in dire financial straits. That's Jose Delgado, the Vice President of Patient Services at Planned Parenthood Southeast. He helps manage the Planned Parenthood in Mississippi. So were these women themselves arrested and detained by ICE? So most of the individuals, the 680 um, individuals who were detained, were mostly men. Um, with that said, um, they have they had families, um, and many of those were not only their wives, if they did have wives, um, but their children are obviously um, identifying as female. Um, so this was a big deal. Um, we wanted to make sure that those individuals who previously had this financial resource um, that no longer existed um, were able to afford for some of the um, standard gynecological items that might help them with their day-to-day lives. After the raid, Planned Parenthood requested menstrual hygiene products from Direct Relief. It was the first request of its kind. The Mississippi site had never provided their patients with tampons or pads before. For our affiliate, this is a first. Um, It's not that we didn't think this product or um, being able to dispense these products is a necessity. It's more that it became more of a necessity with new obstacles. Um, When you have individuals who are targeting particular families and persons, Um, things become a little bit more serious, and any help or support that these families can get becomes a little bit more of a priority. In partnership with the nonprofit organization Days for Girls, Direct Relief sent Planned Parenthood 200 menstrual hygiene kits, each containing a reusable pad. Within two weeks, half of the kits had been distributed. Without Planned Parenthood, these girls may have had to go without. As menstruation becomes less taboo, More and more women are coming forward with their stories and attracting attention to the problem. In the first citywide study of its kind, two-thirds of women in St. Louis, Missouri, said they couldn't afford to buy period products at least once in the last year. More than 20% of these women said they experienced this problem on a monthly basis. For activist Jennifer Weiss-Wolf, these kinds of accounts are evidence of a national problem. Anecdotally, I would say there is uh, almost overwhelming agreement that the ability to afford and manage menstruation poses problems and challenges for people. Weiss-Wolf has been hailed as a tampon crusader. She serves as vice president of development at the Brennan Center for Justice and is the co-founder of Period Equity, a nonprofit that advocates for safe and affordable access to menstrual hygiene products. This idea of period equity or menstrual equity, it's different than period poverty, actually. And it's not rooted in um, the experience of any one person, but the idea that of equitable participation and engagement in in civic life, whether that is one's education or the workplace um, or, or any aspect of public life, requires that we have a full understanding of menstruation, that we have the ability to manage menstruation, um, and I've been, and I've, and I've taken up the issue, you know, with that perspective in mind. Um, it's surely about helping those who are most marginalized and most in need um, be able to manage menstruation fully, fairly, with dignity, and all of that. Um, but it's, it's more, I think, actually driving towards that. Um, it's, it's a policy agenda, and that it acknowledges that if half of the people who live by our laws um, have bodies that menstruate, that man, that acknowledging that within the framework of those laws is essential. 
Period Equity is involved in several campaigns to pass policy that increase women's access to period products. One of the organization's main goals has been ending the tampon tax. In 35 states, tampons, pads, and menstrual cups are not exempt from sales tax, while other basic products like toilet paper and soap are also taxed by most states. Activists argue taxing tampons, a product only half the population needs, is sex-based discrimination. The tampon tax, the sales tax affects everybody. Um, it wasn't sort of asking for any sort of specific program or specific carve-out, but to acknowledge um, that, that these products are a necessity and therefore deserving of um, this exemption. Slightly different question, if you can see where I'm getting at, and it was a way to, to start that conversation. In 2016, Weiss-Wolf led a class-action lawsuit to end the tampon tax in her home state of New York. The suit was successful in pressuring the governor to repeal the tax. But New York is an outlier. To date, only five states have passed a law ending the tampon tax. I mean, the United States is just kind of scratching the surface right now. Kenya um, was the first nation to eliminate a national sales tax on menstrual products and did so in 2004 and has, has had policy um, ranging from uh, menstrual product provision in schools to educational programs for the better part of the past decade. So, yes, I'd say the United States is not ahead. <laughs> Thanks to activists like Weiss-Wolf, the United States is making incremental steps towards increasing women's access to period products. This year, a bill that would make feminine hygiene products available for free in schools, shelters, and other public facilities was introduced into Congress. While other bills like it have been proposed in the past, the period equity movement has stimulated a national conversation that could give menstrual access laws unprecedented momentum. Getting people to talk about menstruation, I would say 500% improves their ability to be healthy in their menstruation. And that includes everything from helping to eradicate the shame to ensuring they're asking for what they need in terms of information, in terms of medical support, in terms of product support. Um, you know, it's just, it's a way to help live a healthier life. And I don't see how anyone, why anyone would want to deny that. While activists like Jennifer work to end the problem, women on the margins continue to deal with it on a regular basis. For many women, having a period without a tampon or pad to manage it is unimaginable. For women like Nancy or the girls in Mississippi, it's routine. For Direct Relief, this is Amory Garafanelli.